from executive producer Isaac Saul. This is Tangle. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Tangle Podcast, the place where you get views from across the political spectrum, some independent thinking without all that hysterical nonsense you find everywhere else. I'm your host, Isaac Saul, and on today's episode, we're going to be talking about the January 6th hearings from Thursday, some of what they revealed, what we learned, what we know, some of the reactions. Before we jump in, though, I have to regrettably start off with a little bit of a correction today. On June 1st, I wrote about Biden's executive order on policing. In the numbers section that day, I made an error that was just brought to my attention last week. We cited Washington Post data that 15% of the people killed by police in 2021 were armed. In fact, 85% were armed and 15% were unarmed. The Washington Post had some convoluted language in their piece. They wrote, last year, all but 15% of people shot and killed by officers were armed, according to the Post data, which I suspect led to the error on our end. But given my intimate knowledge of these numbers and this issue, I'm still surprised I didn't catch it sooner. So I apologize. This is our 64th Tangle correction in its 150-week history and the first since May 19th. I track corrections and place them at the top of the podcast in an effort to maximize my transparency with readers. Also, before we jump in, I want to make a note about some reader feedback that I got last week. So I wrote about the elections in California. Part of the thrust of my take was that the data from California, especially in areas like San Francisco, told a very mixed story about crime there. I received a lot of emails from readers in the Bay Area and Los Angeles, and some of them were supportive of the position I took, but many wrote in critically about how I framed this story, sharing their own personal experiences from on the ground over the last few years with crime in cities like San Francisco and LA. My dad often uses the old joke on me, if one person tells you you're drunk, tell them to screw off. If two people tell you you're drunk, maybe you should go lie down. So My take isn't gospel. I get stuff wrong. And I saw a lot of compelling points come in, enough that I'm reevaluating my view on the elections there. I think it is both fair and prudent to share them with my readers and listeners. So I've collected some responses to that piece, including the criticisms and support of my writing. And I placed them in a Google Doc. There is a link to it in today's newsletter. If you want that, you can go to the newsletter, open it, click that link and read some of the things people said about what I wrote. All right, that is it for our preamble today, which brings us to our quick hits. First up, a group of bipartisan senators say they have agreed to a gun control deal that would create incentives for red flag laws, add scrutiny to buyers under the age of 21, and create new funding for mental health and school security. Number two, U.S. inflation rose again, hitting 8.6% year over year, the highest rate in four decades. Meanwhile, gas prices topped an average of $5 per gallon over the weekend for the first time ever. Number three, around 100 million people are under heat advisories or warnings across the United States as an early season heat wave moves east from the southwest. Number four, President Biden lifted pre-departure COVID-19 testing rules for international travelers coming to the U.S. beginning on Sunday. 
Number five, 31 people with ties to a white nationalist group were arrested in Idaho on charges of conspiracy to riot at a pride parade. Seventeen months after the attack on the U.S. Capitol, uh, the House Select Committee in charge of investigating that attack is starting to show us and the American public its work. What did we learn that we didn't know before? That is an important question. And the short answer is a lot. Members now say that Trump was repeatedly told by advisors that he had, in fact, lost the election, but that he chose instead to lie about it and spark violence. So on Thursday, the January 6th committee held the first of its primetime hearings on the events leading up to and through the day of the riots at the Capitol building in 2021. Led by Representative Benny Thompson, the Democrat from Mississippi, and Representative Liz Cheney, the Republican from Wyoming, the hearing included previously unseen footage of the attack and testimony from Ivanka Trump, Jared Kushner, and former Attorney General William Barr. The hearings focused on three main elements. First, that Trump was responsible for an attempt to stop the peaceful transfer of power and help egg on rioters who attacked the Capitol building. Second, that allies of Trump, including former Vice President Pence and his Attorney General William Barr, all repeatedly told him that he was wrong about the election being stolen. And third, that two far-right groups, the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, had laid out plans to violently halt the counting of the electors on January 6th. On top of the previously unseen footage of the attack and footage of testimony, the committee also interviewed Nick Quested, a British documentarian who was filming members of the Proud Boys in the days leading up to January 6th, and Capitol Police Officer Caroline Edwards, one of 140 officers who were injured during the attacks. Edwards described Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick, who was assaulted during the attack and suffered a stroke. He died the day after the riot of natural causes, according to the medical examiner's office in Washington, D.C. Four other officers, three from the Metropolitan Police Department and one from the Capitol Police, died by suicide in the days and months after the riot. In deposition footage with Barr, Ivanka Trump, and Kushner, each said they believed Biden had won the election and had not seen any evidence that the election had been stolen. The committee also played video and audio of Capitol Police engaged in hand-to-hand fighting with rioters, pleading for help from superiors, and documented several cases of the Capitol that were breached as rioters made their way inside and members of Congress were rushed to safe rooms. The select committee is made up of seven Democrats and two Republicans, all of whom were picked by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, the Democrat from California. Representatives Jim Banks, the Republican from Indiana, and Jim Jordan, the Republican from Ohio, were barred from serving on the committee during its formation, as Pelosi and other Democrats insisted they themselves may be implicated in the day's events. In response, Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy pulled his other three nominees, while Senate Republicans blocked an effort to set up a bipartisan commission. The result was an unusually one-sided select committee hearing, with no Trump allies serving in the group. Approximately 20 million people tuned into the hearings on Thursday. Today, the committee will continue its public hearings, this time with a focus on Trump's claims that the election was stolen. The committee's witnesses were supposed to include former Trump campaign manager William Stepien, but Stepien dropped from the hearings because his wife went into labor. Former Fox News political director Chris Steyerwalt, who correctly called Arizona early for Biden on election night, is also expected to testify. In a moment, you're going to hear some reactions from the left and the right on the hearing that already took place, and then my take.
if you are listening to this podcast, then you are probably like me, constantly bombarded with news, updates, and emails. You can now take a break from the daily grind at Getaway. Just two hours outside most major cities, Getaway's cozy cabins offer the perfect blend of camping and comfort. These handcrafted hideaways are designed to be more than a destination, but a way to create distance from the relentless demands of work, schedules, technology, and, of course, political news. Each cabin offers everything you need and nothing you don't, including a kitchenette fit for cooking, a fire pit perfect for roasting s'mores under the stars, a private bathroom where you can enjoy a hot shower after a day in the outdoors, AC and heat to stay cool and cozy no matter the season, and nearby nature trails for immersing yourself in the natural world. Ready to take time to unplug and unwind? Visit getaway.house and use promo code TANGLE to save $25 on your stay and enjoy more free time in the great outdoors. That's getaway.house, promo code TANGLE. First up, we'll start with what the left is saying. The left said the hearing is a warning about why Trump must never come near the White House again. Some say the committee is making it clear the role Trump played in inciting violence on January 6th. Others criticize the belated spectacle and the failure of Democrats to win back the country's support. Garrett M. Graff called the hearing a warning. It's hard to tell which fact should shock us most out of the first surprisingly compelling public hearings of the Congressional Committee investigating the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol on January 6, Graff wrote. Jared Kushner brushing aside as mere whining the repeated resignation threats from White House counsel and its top lawyers in the face of Donald Trump's ongoing push to overturn the election. The fact that even as rioters surged through the Capitol and members of Congress fled in terror, Donald Trump, the president of the United States, never once spoke to any corner of the U.S. government to ask for help, never once called the Justice Department, Homeland Security, or the Pentagon. The committee's allegations that members of Congress sought presidential pardons for their own roles in the January 6 events, or the simple power of a brave police officer talking about our nation's most sacred democratic space as a war zone, and how, repeatedly injured by rioters that the GOP has sought in the last 18 months to reframe as normal tourists engaged in legitimate political protests, she slipped on others' blood spread across the steps of the U.S. Capitol. After months of behind-the-scenes investigation, wide-ranging subpoenas, witness depositions, document reviews, countless hours of reviewing video footage, and delicate internal political machinations, the public portion of the House's January 6th Select Committee kicked off Thursday night with a two-hour blockbuster that immediately established the stakes of the work, the former president of the United States attempting nothing less than a coup to remain in power, and recentered its work as one of the most important political investigations in our lifetime. The New York Times editorial board said the rallying cries of the former president and the ensuing breach of the Capitol were shown for all to see. But the importance of the hearings isn't simply about holding Mr. Trump, his allies, and the flag-draped thugs storming the halls to account, the board wrote. The hearings challenge all Americans to recommit to the principles of democracy, ask how important those values are to us, and face the threats posed to our democratic way of life. Those threats are real and present as Mr. Trump prepares to possibly again seek the office he has already desecrated once. The committee is doing its duty to defend against these threats by presenting evidence that the attack on the Capitol was not an isolated event, that it was a coordinated assault, and that it continues to this very day. Our duty as American citizens is to participate fully in this process by watching and absorbing the committee's evidence and considering what it would mean for our democracy if Mr. Trump were to run for president again. The chilling videos and interviews aired in the two hours of the hearing did far more than replay the familiar horrors, the board added. They were revelatory and dramatic, 
showing how Mr. Trump urged his followers to violate the Constitution and refused to rein them in even when his most loyal aides pleaded with him to do so. Republican politicians, with brave exceptions such as Ms. Cheney, have dismissed the hearings as unimportant, a partisan show trial, and an unwarranted political attack on Mr. Trump. This misdirection tries to obscure the truth of what is in that footage. Many of the same Republicans had to flee their chamber in panic as a howling mob rampaged through the Capitol. Chris Hedges criticized the spectacle of the committee, warning that Democrats won't restore democracy or halt the rise of the far right. There was no acknowledgement by the committee members that the will of the people has been subverted by three branches of government to serve the dictates of the billionaire class, Hedges wrote. No one brought up the armies of lobbyists who are daily permitted to storm the Capitol to fund the legalized bribery of our elections and write the pro-corporate legislation that it passes. No one spoke about the loss of constitutional rights, including the right to privacy, because of wholesale government surveillance. No one mentioned the disastrous trade deals that have deindustrialized the country and impoverished the working class. No one spoke of the military fiascos in the Middle East that cost taxpayers over $8 trillion, the for-profit healthcare system that gouges the public and prevents a rational response to the pandemic, already resulting in over a million deaths, or the privatization of institutions of government, including schools, prisons, water treatment, trash collection, parking meters, utilities, and even intelligence gathering to enrich the billionaire class at our expense. The gaping hole between the reality of what we have become and the fiction of who we are supposed to be is why spectacle is all the ruling class has left, Hedges said. Spectacle takes the place of politics. It is a tacit admission that all social programs, whether the Build Back Better plan, a ban on assault weapons, raising the minimum wage, ameliorating the ravages of inflation, or instituting environmental reforms to stave off the climate emergency, will never be implemented. Those who occupy the sacred space of our constitutional republic are capable only of pouring money into war, allocating $54 billion to Ukraine, and passing ever higher military budgets to enrich the arms industry. The wider the gap becomes between the ideal and the real, the more the proto-fascists who look set to take back Congress in the fall will be empowered. That is it for what the left is saying, which brings us to what the right is saying. The right said we learned very little new information and the committee is trying to tie two separate events together. Some argue that the evidence is damning for Trump, but still not what many Democrats claim it is. Others criticize the committee as a show trial. Byron York said the never-before-seen footage may have been new, but it looked a lot like what we already had and didn't teach us anything new. The January 6th committee hearing did tell us a lot about one thing, the thinking of the January 6th committee, and the main focus of the committee, as revealed Thursday night, is Trump, Trump, Trump. Yes, members will look into the group's Proud Boys and Oath Keepers that formed a tiny part of the crowd at the Capitol on January 6th and have been charged with seditious conspiracy. But they are interested in those groups only to the extent that the committee will attempt to tie those groups directly to Trump and show that the president conspired with the groups to set off the riot as part of his plan to remain in office post-defeat, York said. The problem is the committee will have to show a lot of connections that might not exist and are at the very least currently unknown. First, it will have to show that Trump worked with the Proud Boys and or Oath Keepers, York said. Then the committee will have to show that the Proud Boys and or Oath Keepers actually made the January 6th riot happen, a tough assignment given the apparently organic nature of the motivations of hundreds of rioters. Then they will have to show that Trump incited the riots, Democrats, of course, call it the insurrection, specifically to use the rioters as muscle to force Pence and Congress 
into accepting the Eastman electoral vote plan. The committee appears to believe it can clear that final hurdle incitement by showing interviews with rioters who later said they felt that Trump, using Twitter to promote his rally on January 6th, had personally invited them to break into the Capitol and go on a rampage. It will be easy to convince the part of the electorate that is already inclined to believe such things. It might be much more difficult for the rest. The Wall Street Journal editorial board said the hearing was a visceral reminder of what happened that day. The House inquiry into the January 6, 2021 Capitol riot launched its TV miniseries Thursday night, and the trick for parsing the proceedings is to keep two ideas in tension, the board wrote. Do Democrats want to unfairly besmirch the entire GOP with the January 6th disgrace while distracting voters from 8.6% inflation and $5 a gallon gasoline? Yes. Yet, did the committee offer a damning look at President Trump's scheme to stay in office after losing the 2020 election? Also yes. Fresh video of the riot is a reminder that January 6th was a brutal melee of fists and chemical sprays. I was slipping in people's blood, said Capitol Police Officer Caroline Edwards. The footage is visceral, even if similar scenes were already on YouTube. The committee appears to be trying to build a case of seditious conspiracy against Mr. Trump, but here the evidence isn't persuasive. Ms. Cheney offered no evidence that Mr. Trump communicated directly with the Oath Keepers or Proud Boys, who were the vanguard of the assault on the Capitol. The president spread falsehoods about the election, the board wrote. He invited supporters to Washington on January 6th, tweeting on December 19th that it will be wild. He riled up the crowd and urged it to march on the Capitol. After violence began, he dawdled instead of sending help. Mr. Trump bears responsibility for the mayhem, but inspiring followers to march is not the same as leading a criminal conspiracy. One irony is that the largely Democratic committee's evidence makes clear that Mr. Trump's designs on overturning the election were foiled mainly by Republicans, including many in his administration. The committee calls January 6th an attempted coup. That makes it seem as if there was a chance of success. There wasn't. It was an impossible plan hatched by screwballs, and it would have gone down as such if the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers hadn't breached the Capitol. In The Federalist, Tristan Justice called it a show trial to prop up a dying, corrupt regime. Legitimate political opposition on Thursday was absent from the hearings, Justice wrote. No counter-narrative was allowed by the regime, which barred the opposing party's selected representatives as every cable network except Fox News carried the programming live. Members conducting the show trial accused their opponents of conspiracy to topple the U.S. government, just as the Soviets accused old Bolshevik leaders of plans to terminate Stalin. Never mind that American institutions held on January 6th, and the federal government came nowhere close to collapse when congressional proceedings were interrupted. The trials in Moscow culminated in the great purge of dissidents to the incumbent regime, with defendants given death sentences. The January 6th proceedings were aimed at the ultimate purge of former President Donald Trump and his supporters, albeit through societal exile and jail sentences as opposed to execution. According to whistleblowers in the FBI, a purge within the federal law enforcement agency has already begun. Meanwhile, the January 6th committee's prime targets have included prominent members of the prior administration, just as Stalin's deputies prosecuted leaders of the old regime. On Friday, former Trump trade advisor Peter Navarro was taken by the FBI in handcuffs and charged with crimes stemming from the committee's work, Justice wrote. Of the more than 100 subpoenas issued by the select committee ostensibly established to probe the Capitol riot, less than 10%, according to a Federalist analysis, have targeted individuals directly involved in the chaos. The rest have gone after Americans who committed the now apparent crime of holding a peaceful demonstration at the White House and espouse unacceptable views in the eyes of the incumbent regime. 
All right, that is it for what the left and the right are saying, which brings us to my take. I suspect it is hard for a lot of Americans to care right now. Most of the country seems to agree that things just don't feel good, whether it's the persistent pandemic, rising inflation and gas prices, school shootings, war overseas, or the culture wars happening over gender ideology, racism, and free speech. Many Americans have simply moved on from January 6th. Or if you want to take the view of Chris Hedges, perhaps it's impossible to care when you view the entire system as corrupt and all the politicians at the helm on both sides as self-interested hacks aiming to get reelected and enrich their donors. Trust me, I get it. And yet, it is also okay to let these hearings just be what they are about. These criticisms are all useful context to keep in mind, but this thing doesn't have to be about your thing. The benefit of the January 6th committee is that rather than the slow drip, drip, drip of evidence we have gotten since January 6, 2021, we can now take a full, cohesive accounting of what happened. That is useful, given the stakes of the day and the market made on our history. So, based on the documents the committee collected, transcripts of text messages released, audio evidence, video evidence, and contemporaneous news reports, we have a rough idea of what that full accounting looks like. It is worth laying it out plainly. As the last returns began to trickle in on the early morning after election night, Trump's team understood that the final results were still days away. Trump responded by announcing prematurely that he had won. When, days after the election, his top data analysts informed the president he was going to lose, he insisted the results were wrong or stolen or corrupted, and then he pressured lawyers at the Justice Department to produce evidence to support his view. When they refused and threatened to resign, he focused on state officials and legislators instead, like the ones in Georgia who recorded him demanding they produce enough votes that would give him the lead. Members of his cabinet produced memos claiming the election was stolen, and lawyers on his team drafted multi-pronged plans to send invalid electors to Congress, even though they knew at the time that the allegations were false and the plans were illegal. Trump even drafted an executive order to use the military to seize voting machines, which his lawyers then tried to hide from the January 6th committee. Trump highlighted January 6th to his supporters as the day those electors would be counted, telling them the events in D.C. would be wild and insisting the election could be swung his way. When these demands divided his team and were stymied from the inside and outside, he resorted to pressuring his vice president, privately and publicly, to refuse to certify the election. Pence famously refused. Trump continued to pressure him on January 5th and January 6th. In the immediate aftermath of his rally on January 6th, when supporters marched to the Capitol and then broke in, Trump, according to the committee, refused to summon federal law enforcement to stop them, leaving Pence to call in help from the likes of the National Guard. In the days before and after January 6th, Trump's closest allies, including his children, attorney general, favored television hosts, and top cabinet officials, all told him that he was being fed lies about the election being stolen insisted he allow Biden to take office, and considered invoking the 25th Amendment to remove him when he ignored them. Trump only conceded Biden would become president on January 7th, and then immediately began claiming the election was stolen again. Certain elements of this story, like whether Trump hung Pence out to dry or refused rather than neglected to call in law enforcement on the day of January 6th, has not yet been proven beyond a shadow of a doubt. The committee claims it has the goods, and we'll see. But the rest is pretty much well-established through documents, audio, video, and the under-oath testimony of his former cabinet officials and his own children. This is not a good story, but it's true. It is not a hoax or political hackery, it is just damning. 
In my view, these transgressions are far from equal. Trump squabbling about the election being stolen or sitting in meetings with Sidney Powell or not insisting his supporters go home in a timely manner are bad. But far worse is calling Republican state officials in swing states in an attempt to find votes for himself, which we have audio recordings of. Even worse than that is attempting to weaponize the Justice Department to produce evidence you want, so much so that your own appointees are threatening to resign, which we have testimony of. And worse than all of that is what we have hard documented evidence of. Trump's staff produced plans to divert from the legal process of tallying legitimate state electors. Trump himself drafted an executive order calling on the military to seize voting machines. Either or both of these events, had there been enough willing bodies, would have set off a true constitutional crisis and almost certainly a wave of political violence in the streets. So that's where we are. Will the committee find physical or digital evidence of some top-down White House connection to the Oath Keepers or Proud Boys? No. We'd likely know that already, since the committee has leaked most of its findings to do as much political damage to Trump as possible. Will it give us any definitive answers about FBI informants and instigators who may have been present on January 6th? Again, I doubt it. No Democrats seem interested in that story. Will we learn more about the bombs planted in D.C. that day? We had better, but again, I'm not hopeful. The committee is not perfect, and it is, in the anti-Trump sense, a partisan spectacle. Will the committee fix inflation or bring the country closer together or resolve the fact that many of its members are corrupt politicians themselves? Of course not. But that is really not the point. The point of the committee is to tell us what happened on January 6th. In that regard, its biases are worth noting, and the absence of a counter-narrative is too. But the evidence speaks volumes. And regardless of the anti-Trump, Democrat-appointed, made-for-primetime spectacle committee we have, the story that the evidence they've collected tells is a frightening one. We'd do well to take note of it. All right, next up is our story that matters. The 2024 presidential election is still a ways off, but whispers are already starting that one person shouldn't be involved. President Joe Biden. Democratic lawmakers and party officials are venting their frustration with Biden's struggle to move his agenda and airing doubts that he'd be able to stave off a Republican challenger in 2024. It's not just the results or his agenda, but also his age. Biden would be 86 at the end of a second term, a concerning idea for a president who already faces regular questions about his mental capacities. Now, Democrats on and off the record are sharing their fears that a new candidate will be needed to lead the party. The New York Times has a story. There's a link to it in today's newsletter. All right, next up is our numbers section. The percentage of Americans who say Trump is solely or mainly responsible for the rioters who stormed the Capitol on January 6th is 45%. The percentage who say Trump is somewhat or not really responsible is 55%. President Biden's disapproval rating as of today, according to 538's tracker, is 53.6%. His approval rating is 40.1%. The percentage of Americans who say they would support Republicans on a general congressional ballot is 45%. The percentage of Americans who say they would support Democrats on a general congressional ballot is 42.6%. All right, last but not least, our Have a Nice Day story. Genetic analysis has confirmed the discovery of a living Fernandina Island Galapagos giant tortoise, a species that was previously thought to be extinct for 100 years. 
The fantastic giant tortoise has been a mystery to scientists who had to match the genome of a living specimen on the island with those taken over 100 years ago. But now the researchers say they can confirm Fernanda, named after the island she lives on, is a member of the same species. They estimate she is well over 50 years old and say the tracks of at least two other tortoises have been found on the island. Princeton has the story. There is a link to it in today's newsletter. All right, everybody, that is it for today's podcast. As always, if you want to support our work, go to readtangle.com slash membership or just tell your friends about what we're doing over here at Tangle. We'll see you tomorrow, same time. Peace. Our newsletter is written by Isaac Saul, edited by Bailey Saul, Sean Brady, Ari Weitzman, and produced in conjunction with Tangle's social media manager, Magdalena Bakova, who also helped create our logo. The podcast is edited by Trevor Eichhorn, and music for the podcast was produced by Diet75. For more from Tangle, subscribe to our newsletter or check out our content archives at www.readtangle.com. Mm-hmm.